0: Well, good morning. My name is Anna Guerrero, and I'm the family ministry director here at Bethany North. I'm excited to uh, get to partake in this Song of Solomon passage. Um, Lots of fun exploring all this poetic language. So we're going to travel into some poetry by way of science this morning. Dopamine is what helps our brain experience pleasure. And as humans, we're addicted to it. Dopamine is this feel-good hormone that travels to your brain and tells you you're happy. And guess what? A high dosage of dopamine will take hours or days, sometimes even weeks, before it gets back to this sober state. Now, although dopamine is great and makes us feel happy, and it's how we we're have this affect, it is followed by its friend prolactin. Now prolactin immediately releases after dopamine is, is going down and it has the opposite effect. And it causes this cycle of highs and lows. High dopamine, low prolactin. What do you want? Dopamine, uh-oh, prolactin. We're kind of going in this circle. It, and it affects the stability of the whole body. It destabilizes our nervous system. It lowers our immunity. All sorts of physical things are happening in our body with this cycle of dopamine and prolactin. And there's so much information on this. If you wanna go on the internet and Google dopamine and prolactin, you can learn a whole bout of science. But um, other researchers, Sue Johnson and, and John Gottman, have done incredible research on how humans are built for connection. Deep connection, guess what it does? It lowers our heart rate, it decreases our blood pressure, and it releases dopamine when we experience connection with other human beings. Now, as a society, we've started to find some substitutes to this sort of deep connection. Some ways that kind of keep us from this real connection that our body is really desiring. And we've started to fill some of those voids. More and more, we turn to social media, we turn to other ways of filling this dopamine desire that we're addicted to. And actually neuroscientists are teaching, us, teaching phone companies and apps how to continue this cycle of desire and get us to be addicted more to the dopamine that we're getting from our phone. Brilliant, right? And addictive. So it's a growing generation of us that are plagued by this anxiety as we wait for this next bing or the next way that we're going to experience this positive experience of dopamine. But What I want to talk today is about loving in the right direction, finding true connection and what that's all about. So let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful to be here this morning and, um, and for this passage and how through poetic language uh, we get to learn more about you and more about how we're built for connection, connection to people around us and connection to you, Lord, and what healthy love really looks like and healthy connection looks like. Pray that you, Holy Spirit, would open our minds and our hearts to hear what you want to say to us today, each of us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is all this pursuit about? It's about this affection and connection. See, we're made to be this way, and it's beautiful. It's the way God made us. Think about Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve to be together. And we are given this responsibility to share that love in the right direction. This is where we find ourselves in this text today in Song of Solomon. Again, it is poetic literature, so we hear this poem of searching and searching for something that's a deep connection. She is anxious and longing for her intimate connection with her lover. Now, also remember that in the Song of Solomon, we're really using this three-voice narrative. There is the woman that's describing us as humans, kind of this uh, two-dual mode of understanding this passage. There's the woman. There's the lover. This is the Christ figure um, in this passage. And then there's Solomon. Solomon is the world. It is a different different kind of love. So I'm going to read again verses 1 through 4. And we'll uh, dig in all night long on my bed. This is a dream. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but I didn't find him. I will get up now and go about the city. Through its streets and squares, I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I brought him into my mother's house to the room of the one who conceived me. There's a lot of repeated language. And lucky for me, repeated language is like a big flashing red light over scripture that says, hello, pay attention to me, this is a repeated phrase. So what is the repeated phrase? the one my heart loves. So we need to figure out, who is this? What is this that this this woman is talking about? It's It's repeated four times in these four verses. Obviously, her dream is focused on the one her heart loves. She feels known and connected by this person. But how do we know that? The word soul, the one my soul loves, is a word in hebrew called nefesh now nefesh is uh we use the word soul and heart and feel all these words are kind of interchangeable in our english language but nefesh is not that nefesh it describes our whole person like body soul spirit it is our whole self that is described in this word nefesh and that's the word we're seeing here Repeated so often, the one my nefesh wants, nefesh, my whole self wants, her whole self wants this this love because she feels known and intimate and connected. We saw this in chapter two. These this connection is a deep love, deep connection. Nefesh describes this whole part of us. It sometimes we even use the word sub gut. Right, it is us. It is inside of us. And she's speaking so frantically with repeated phrases because her whole self is looking for this. And it can't be filled by anyone else. I couldn't help experiencing, and I don't know if you did this, but like with this repeated phrase, with this repeated seek and find, like I could experience her anxiety through this part of the poem. And it brought up some like anxious. I wanted them to be together. I wanted this to resolve. And just like anything, I think it's funny how that, those anxious feelings, those deep memories that we have inside of us, they bring up stories for us. Like, oh, I remember that feeling. And this story that came up to me, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. I was at the Columbus Zoo And uh, Esteban, who's my oldest, was five. And I had Asya, who's my middle child. She's two and a half. My two and a half year old is strapped in a stroller. And my five year old is a runner. That's a whole other story of how I learned that. But my five year old is is a runner. And so I was always really careful to be watching out for him. Because he would just see something he wanted to go see and take off and go see it. And we're at the zoo, and it's hot, and it's the summer, so it's packed and crazy. Uh, I was with my family, we're in Columbus, an amazing zoo. And so we're watching the gorillas, and the gorilla exhibit at the Columbus Zoo is incredible. It's huge, and it has all these alcoves that you can feel like you're sitting inside with them. So we're just looking at these gorillas, and all of a sudden, I realize Esteban's not where I thought he was. And so I just, you know, do the casual turnaround, stay bun, stay bun. And then I realized, okay, he's not in this section. So I stepped out of that section and looked around, and he was nowhere to be seen. And immediately, I had this flash of panic where is my son in this crazy packed zoo? And I remembered the safety class I'd taken when I was a young mom about what to do if you lose your child. Well, you do what people don't normally do. You start to yell. And so I did. I had my two-and-a-half-year-old on the stroller, and I started yelling, I've lost my son! His name is Esteban! He had a cast on. He has a black cast with flames on it! and he's wearing X shoes. I've lost my son. I'm running around this giant exhibit, yelling that I've lost my son. And because I knew that a 100 eyes were better than my two. And uh, then I finally get my mom on the phone. And she said, oh, well I took Esteban down to the next exhibit. And uh, yeah. So we had a we had a lovely conversation. I walked over and first like grabbed Esteban, I'm like please tell me when you're gonna leave. And then I looked at my mom, please tell me when you're gonna take him. Just the panic is was so real. It was like a shot of adrenaline. But what was amazing about this story is not that piece. The amazing part was that as I walked around the zoo the whole rest of the day. Uh, people would see me and they would say, did you find your son? I I called my sister. She was on the other side of the exhibit. I called her and told her what he looked like. And then another person, did you find your son? Me and my husband ran into the nearest bathroom and looked under all the stalls. Did you find your son? It was amazing to watch how my feeling of needing this one my soul loves, this missing piece caused reaction of all the people around me. They knew what this feeling was like. They were spurred into action because they knew that losing the one my soul loves is something that we all respond to and, and experience. What we love determines the direction of our affection. Now think again about the dopamine prolactin chemical circular piece that's happening, it's driving her affection. This woman, she's anxious in her dream, she's propelled by her desire to connect with her lover. Because once we find this nefesh, this place that our soul feels known, it's what we want. And it's what drives us to motion, to change. It drives our affection. She's seeking this man until she finds him, even outside of cultural norms. She is running around outside in the middle of the night in her dream or at the zoo screaming, and once she does, what happens? Let's look at verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me she takes him. She holds him until she can, and she can't let go. And she takes him to the most intimate place. How much more intimate could it be than taking your lover, this person that's your soulmate, into your mother's house, to your mother's bed? This place where you are known more fully than any other. Psalm 139, I knew you in my womb. This is a place of deep intimacy that she's pointing that not only is it her lover that she's being part of but she feels so comfortable here this is intimate and obviously her mother is approving of this she's hiding her lovers in this space because she knows that this is a good connection this is a place of safety leaves only one question though As we acknowledge that we all are looking for this thing, we're built for connection. Nefesh is a treasure to be found. As I talked about before, our culture and our broken human nature is saturated with unhealthy expressions of love. King Solomon, or the world, is telling us something different about what we need. It's telling us something different. Now scholars are divided on if this second portion of chapter three is part of the dream or is this an insert or what is it? But when I read this whole passage together, I think, man, in an anxious dream, which is what this is, doesn't often, there's an underlying theme of searching for love, but then sometimes our dreams go bad. And they, they point out what it's not. So let's read uh, in, the, in chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. says, What is that coming up from the wilderness? Like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of the merchant. Look, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it is 60 mighty men of the mighty men of Israel, all equipped with swords and experts in war. Each with his sword at his thigh because of alarms by night. Did you hear the voice change here? It it seems like wow, this doesn't sound this sounds like a big production. Honestly, I was like, this kind of seems like a Disney thing, you know, like, ooh, this man riding on his couch or his litter. It's literally like a fancy bed that he's carried around in and guarded by all these men he's going on his high horse to go do what he's surrounded by men's with swords he's riding on a chariot he's smelling fine did you hear the frankincense and myrrh this like this is a, a beautiful expression apparently but what is going on and why the change of voice Who are they coming for? Who is this warrior, this Solomon on his bed, surrounded by 60 men? Who are they coming for? Is this an army? Is this a fight? Are they getting ready for something? Well, in verse 11, it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, come out. Look, O daughters of Zion, at King Solomon, at the crown with which his mother crowned him, on the day of his wedding, on the day of gladness of his heart, his heart. This is his wedding day. King Solomon had a thousand wives, a thousand women in his harem, and he is pridefully riding on his couch, on his chariot to go get another. This is his wedding day. Gladness of his heart and his mother Is crowning him with this power to to go get it. Go go get that next woman. You already have a thousand. Go get it. Solomon is passive. He is sitting on his bed. And someone, as someone else carries him to go get another woman. He's not actively pursuing her. He's not looking for connection. He's bringing an army to go get her. If we look at that in context of what we just heard, remember this woman is searching deeply for her lover, for her connection. This is about pursuit, pursuit of true connection. And then we have this picture of this man that's not really being, not pursuing, not being pursued. He's just being carried to take over. She was running around trying to find her lover. He is being carried to go get something. This is a day that brings joy to him who has power to go do that. But power, my friends, is not love. It's an imitation. Would someone sign up for this imitation intimacy? We all do. We sign up for the smoke and mirrors, for imitation lives through the lens we want to be perceived. And instead of our real selves, we put on our, our good-smelling perfume and our social media posts of all the things that are going really, really well, instead of really engaging in what's really connected. This was really explicitly clear to me as I sat preparing the sermon at a coffee shop. I looked, I, w- I was thinking, j- being, I was actually feeling very convicted about, about this specific idea of smoke and mirrors that we use in social media and we use that keeps us away from real connection because it's not the true picture. And I was sitting there, and there was a couple guys sitting next to me. And I just happened to glance at their phones, because they were like this. And uh, they were using Tinder. And so it was like, swipe right. I like her. Swipe left. Yeah, not my thing. Right. Yep, good. Left. No, don't like her. And it was this sorting of, like, they don't even know her. And she doesn't even know them, and they're just making this quick judgment based on a picture, based on smoke and mirrors, and the power that they had to just dismiss or approve of someone based on a picture. It was so clear to me that they were trading real intimacy for this quick affection This dopamine prolactin experience of like, that feels good, not feeling so good, gotta find something else to make me feel good. In Matthew 7 6, it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's a powerful statement. I was listening to Brene Brown and her talk on men, women, and worthiness. And if you haven't heard this, it is a must listen. It really underlines how shame is just driving our culture and how we're using these things, these masks, to really go away from our own shame and hide from it. Brene Brown said this, We are hardwired for loving and belonging, We are hardwired for connection. That's what this passage is about. We are hardwired for connection, for loving and belonging and being known. This is sacred. And we've heard this concept of who we are, our whole self being known, what our soul longs for, this search for it. We've really thought about how this dopamine prolactin piece is just driving us to keep looking and looking and looking and filling it with cheapened versions, imitation intimacy. And in contrast, what happens then? Well, stay with me because verse five has this amazing key Pushed right here in the middle. And I will say that verse 5 is one of those verses that has been used incorrectly. Um, and I'm so excited to bring out the true meaning of this verse because it's so powerful. So, verse 5, the Hebrew word that is used all through this passage, verses 1 through 5, is Ahava. Now, Ahava is a certain kind of love. But in Hebrew culture, there are three different kinds of love. They, exp- they talk about it in this sequential way. So we're going to explore some of this sequential experience of love. Now, language is the window into what we believe. So let's look at what they believed through unpacking this word of love that is just put all the way through verses 1 through 5. And it's the same word all the way through. So first, there is raya. Raya is a friendship kind of love. This is a formative sort of love. This is getting to know a person. This is my friends. This is uh, people that I'm acquaintances with. This is, you know, makes up a majority of what kind of love we experience as we have friends. And it's beautiful. It's the first part of love. The first step. The next step is called ahava. This is the word that's used, in through this whole pa- used through this whole passage. And it's a commitment kind of love. This is the covenant kind of love. This is a ferocious love. This is the I'm not going anywhere kind of love. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, I'm here. I'm committed in covenant with you. And we, we commit to love each other in this beautiful, sacrificial way. And then third is, is toad. This is sexual intimacy. See, we can't have toad, healthy toad, unless we have raya and ahava. And then comes toad. This is the, the highest level of, sex, of intimacy, This is where we're fully known, and it's a gift from God. But the ironic part is this passage, this whole passage, even though it's talking about Toad, her intimate connection, the whole passage doesn't use that. The whole passage is actually talking about Ahava, this covenant sort of connection. And where we've used this passage is really to talk about, and it's true, Uh, Scott talked about it last week. We We should not skip straight to toad. We shouldn't skip there. We have to have these different layers. Because if we don't have the different layers, it doesn't put it in the right place. It doesn't do what it's meant to do. We find this very horizontal description of the different kinds of love known in the Hebrew world. Remember, we're talking a lot about how does this passage then relate to how we're vertically to relate to God and horizontally to relate to our people around us. Our our emptiness and striving after the wrong kind of love will only be satisfied by turning our attention to the one who is seeking us and won't quit until his affections are satisfied. God is crazy about us. We are created for this. We're created for Ahava. And to experience it deep within us, in our whole self, this nefesh. To seek and find this sort of connection, and we find the perfect version of it in Jesus. Our creator, sent to die for us so that we could experience relationship in this way. The way it was intended, intimately, our creator that made us to long for connection because we're hardwired for it. Jesus, whose direction was set by his love for our soul, is sacred. In Ezekiel 34, 11, it says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And in Luke 19.10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that passage that I was talking about, about do not give dogs what is sacred, what was really going through my brain is this. In Matthew 7.7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see this? Jesus is seeking us. He will come and seek and save us. And we are to seek and knock, to find this perfect intimacy, this Nephesh this place that our soul is longing for. Friday, I felt that strong desire that I needed to connect with God. I needed my soul to be fed. So I went um, to Snohomish and uh, it's a place that I've been going often. It's beautiful, I love the country and the open space. And I was sitting on the river of the Sonomish River, sitting in the sun, and I was just asking for God's peace. I knew that peace is how I could experience this deep connection with God. That's, what, that's the sign of it for us, is that we experience this deep, knowing peace that God is with us and has everything under control. So i was sitting there and I'm looking out at the river and there's these branches going up. I'm just, I just felt it. I felt this deep peace come over me. And I was thinking about that passage in Matthew 6, about not worrying, and about God taking care of the birds of the field and the lilies. We don't need to worry. And I, just, uh, I, I saw this woman walk up and she stops right in front of me. And I thought that was kind of funny. She just stopped and was looking at, I have no idea what she's looking at. I'm like, okay. And then she turns and she said, Do you see it? And I was like, The blue sky? You know, I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, There's a hummingbird sitting right here, a hummingbird. I've never seen a hummingbird just sitting here. Isn't it a beautiful sound? And all of a sudden I looked, and there in the branches is this hummingbird. I've never seen a hummingbird sitting on a branch either. All I see them is just buzzing around with their crazy fast wings, moving about, doing their jobs. But here's this hummingbird just sitting there. And you know, I... I felt God seeking me in that moment. You know why? Because I would have even missed, even as that verse is going through my head, I would have even missed it. That there was a bird, a hummingbird, sitting right in front of me. And there's this woman that just walks up and points at it. Don't you see that bird? It was this beautiful moment where I just felt like, I am here seeking God, and God seeks me. It's a beautiful picture for me. Jesus is the only perfect match for what our soul needs, for that deep connection, the only one. Our human connection can never compare. And peace is what we find when we seek Jesus and surrender. And it's a physiological experience, just like this experience of anxiety, just like dopamine, prolactin. Peace is a physical experience. So practically, what does this look like? We need to be people that seek true connection and intimacy. And horizontally, for me, that's looked like asking some hard questions over the past few months about what am I substituting for this imitation intimacy, for true connection? Am I substituting this? Yeah, sometimes. And does it mean I need to give up some distractions? Yeah. It means I'm having to say no sometimes because it's not the thing that I'm looking for. I need to continue personally to pursue healthy connection with my husband, with my children, with my friends, with family members. And this takes time. It takes time to know and to be known. And it's hard work, painful work sometimes. But it's what we're made for. We're made for this kind of connection. And vertically, Man, when I went to find the one my soul loves on Friday, and I went looking for that deep connection, that's what my soul needed. And we need to do more of that. Not for a list. Not because God is all-powerful and telling us what to do. And so we are demanded this love. No, but because God loved us first and seeks us first. And so we can pursue God because he seeks and loves us first. And we can put away the shame and the masks and go there first. Because that's what we're really looking for. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and in his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord is seeking you. Jesus is seeking you and has for all eternity. And I want to call us to seek God just as much and seek it horizontally and then seek it in our healthy relationships around May we reflect that kind of true connection. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you seek and know and love us first. And that we're created for you. We're created by you. For this deep connection. So Lord, I ask in the moments ahead... That we would feel your peace, that your peace would fill this room so we could experience the one our soul loves. And out of that, Lord, you would teach us how to love in the right direction. In Jesus' name.